0: Hello and welcome back to the Literary Salon podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. And I think this is maybe us what, halfway through the year? Almost exactly, it feels like we're hinging towards the end of midsummer. I'm watching the sunshine melting over the South Downs right now. And it's not as fierce as it was in June, but it's still gorgeous. And I hope you're getting a chance to enjoy it. This week we are excited to bring you a debut novel and you know that we love supporting debut writers here. It's by Catherine Bromwich, that's spelled B-R-O-M-W-I-C-H and it's a novel called At the Edge of the Woods which immediately makes me feel lightly spooked. Catherine is a commissioning editor and writer on The Observer New Review and she also writes for Little White Lies, Dazed Vice, Timeout and The Independent. So you probably stumbled across her journalism at some point. And this is her first book. It's her first novel. I am sure it is not gonna be her last. We were all very excited about it here at Salon. It's about a woman called Laura who lives alone in a cabin in the Italian Alps. The local villagers are wary of this worldly woman living deep in the forest, or should I say their forest, Who is this unusual outsider and what brings her to their door? As we discover, Laura is running from her past, aren't we all? And her past is a gilded cage and her present is the wilds, is the woods, which offer her anonymity and an escape from all of that. So it's a sort of return to nature novel in that sense, not quite thorough. Um, But it's about, you know, getting away from a life that was draining her to a place that is going to sustain her. So it's full of lush descriptions about her daily wanderings and the nature and the landscape. But by living in isolation, Laura begins to lose more than she bargained for. Her grip on reality starts to go and the villagers become increasingly hostile towards this woman in the woods who they begin to think might be a witch. Robert McFarlane has described this book as an exceptional debut, uncanny, unsettling, original, and subtle. Gradually, it beckons the reader deeper into both its forests and its mysteries. That's high praise indeed from an incredible writer. Let's go in for a deeper look.
1: Hi. I'm Catherine Bromwich, and I'm thrilled to be invited to Damien Barr's Literary Salon podcast. I'm a writer and editor on the Observer newspaper, and At the Edge of the Woods is my debut novel. Essentially, the story follows a woman who lives alone in the Alps, in an unspecified past. In the beginning, she lives a quiet life, until one day someone from her past shows up in the middle of the night and turns everything upside down. After that, things start to unravel and become stranger and more mysterious. Now I'm going to read an extract from the very start of the book. hope you like it. In the mornings, when my thoughts have not yet arranged themselves into their familiar malevolent shapes and the day is still unformed, I wake up before dawn and sheathe myself, layer upon layer of coarse, heavy clothing, and walk deep into the woods while my eyes adjust to the velvety darkness. In time, I have learnt the path's duplicitous ways, its thorns and unsteady footholds and half-seen creatures have become better known to me lately than my own reflection, which, with the passing of the years, has departed so much from the image I expect to see staring back, stealing myself to face it, has become a daily penance a source of horror so visceral and intense that for the ensuing minutes it taints all other considerations. But in the trees here, there are no mirrors, or others in whose glances I can see myself reflected, only the astringent cold stinging my eyes and the soft, sweet smell of growth and decay. As I walk, my blood runs warm through my veins and my body starts to sweat, And within minutes, I need to remove the first layer, which I fumble to tie around my waist underneath my leather bag. My muscles guide me through the branches and into an opening, the grass high and rough against my legs. And the first signs of light begin to glimmer in the sky, the starry blackness fading to a dark grey. I have a sip of water chilled and scratchy against the back of my throat and walk to the end of the path where the steps begin. The first 15 minutes are some of the steepest and so I pace myself, ensuring my boots have gripped onto each cracked wooden slat before moving to the next. And while it now takes me longer to become out of breath than the first time I did this walk all those months ago, here is where I get the first ferrous tang of blood in my mouth. I stop at a platform to look back at the view starting to be visible below while I remove another layer and eat half a pastry, stale from the day before, which dissolves into a sugary paste that masks the bitter, metallic aftertaste. The next half hour is an arduous and constant uphill climb. Some days, this is where other early morning hikers come into view, ageing mountaineers and turning buongiorno, or the occasional startled villager. I have come to recognise a few regulars, often so deep in thought, that they, as I expect I must, appear lost in a faraway realm, and we pass each other in silence with a perfunctory nod. I try not to imagine the version of me they see, all matted fabric and dirt and ill-concealed truculence, and march on, the hard ground crunching beneath me like gravel. At the top of the steps, the paths widen out, and it becomes once again easy to disappear into the forest without encountering anyone, a moment that fills me each day with immense relief. At this stage, the adrenaline has started to kick in, overpowering the soreness in my legs and the stiffness in my joints, and as I make my way off the path and weave through the overgrown thicket, my thoughts, at last, begin to disperse. Often, a snippet of a phrase I've read the previous night will get stuck in my head, repeating over and over like an incantation until the words have lost all meaning. This is why I eat the second half of the pastry, which sits warm and satisfying in my stomach. I can feel it become fuel almost instantly as it descends, replenishing the energy I have used during the morning's climb. Not long afterward, I will normally feel the need to relieve myself in a secluded corner of the woods, something that at first filled me with great shame, but which I now regard as an animalistic ritual I enact without much thought, yet not without relish. I clean myself with paper I have brought with me. If I run out, I have learnt which leaves to use and which to avoid. The dangers latent in the mountain, at first masked by its majestic grandeur, have slowly revealed themselves to me. I am more fearful of it now, but wiser to the ways it conceals its threats. If I do not disturb it, I think, it will allow me to pass unharmed. As I proceed up through the forest, I try not to retread my steps, each day tracking a new pathway through the undergrowth, but time and time again I find myself heading to one of three endpoints I have come to favour. Once I reach the top of the pass, I stop to consider the view beneath me. Sometimes, I gaze over the peaks, the trees, the lake in the distance, the gossamer clouds billowing out in bruises of blue and pink, purple and gold, the horizon a clear gleam like a lamp shining behind a pale yellow veil, branches snaking in front of it like the centrepiece of a stained glass window. And the view fills me with awe, with the sense of being fully alive and as though the beauty in the world might, after all, make up for its endless disappointments. Once or twice, the sight has left me lost for words, Breathless, as though I might be approaching something meaningful, but just out of reach. Most days, I look down, my feet aching and calloused, sweat coalescing on my back and armpits and groin, my throat dry and raw with exertion, and I feel nothing at all. Back in the village, I make myself smaller, softer, amenable to human interaction, I change into neat, clean clothes and widen my mouth into a smile, which I practice in the mirror until it is meek and becoming. I feel myself once again turning into the docile girl I was brought up to be, a performance I find both calming and degrading. I greet the butcher's assistant and the tavern boy, and they respectfully nod in my direction, unsure where to direct their gaze. As I pass them, I rehearse in my head a small talk I will attempt with a shopkeeper. His usual mode of address to me communicates both obsequiousness and an undercurrent of disdain, a demeanour he adopts towards all things unfamiliar to him. In time, I think, I will win him over, even if it takes until every hair in my head has turned to grey. Once I am old, the kind of old that makes the young and healthy turn away, our encounters will be seamless, routine, intimate almost, if I ever break through to his carefully guarded inner circle of clientele, that is. Morning miss, a cheerful sing-song, thick black moustache leering over fleshy lips, and how are we today? Ostensibly polite words, yet delivered in a tone so steeped in reverence as to imply the very opposite. He thinks I don't know what he's doing, but I've seen him with his favourite customers, honed in over decades into a smooth barrage of in-jokes and mutual insults, not at all like this specious performance. All right, Gianfranco. Casual, but aloof enough to denote that I've perceived his discourtesy. Had an early start, managed to get up to the past before ten. How about yourself? I know his game. I'm giving nothing away. Oh, you know... He puffs up with a theatrical display of stoicism, the usual complaints. What can I do you for today? The same lubricious line every time, the same flicker of loathing commingled with lust. I give him my order, cured ham, fish, eggs, bread, pastries, two bottles of red wine. I watch him as I order the wine, daring him to comment on it, as he did the first few times. Naturally, my lady. he slithers, unctuous as an eel. His meaty fingers move quickly and skilfully through the products, squeezing and weighing and slicing and wrapping, until everything is packed together in a brown paper bag, which he passes over the counter to me. I settle up and flash him my kindest smile. I am no threat to you, the smile says. A few more years of these, and he will come around to me. I am certain of it.
0: You'll just have to read the book to find out if Laura wins over the villagers in the end. So if you enjoy fine writing with a satisfyingly slow-burning plot that mounts with tension to a nail-biting finale, then you will enjoy reading At the Edge of the Woods by Catherine Bromwich. At the Edge of the Woods is published by indie publisher Two Dollar Radio. Love that name. The book is available now in all good bookshops and on our page on bookshop.org. And if you buy any book from bookshop.org, from any shop on there, your purchase will support indie bookshops, which will make you feel good. So this, I think, will appeal to fans of Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller, which I loved. And as always, we'd be really grateful if you would share this episode so that more people can find a new voice. We love celebrating debut writers and we love giving them a space. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine, and to you, listener. We will see you again with a brand new Book of the Week very soon. Thank you for listening and join us again. Happy reading.